severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job. Hello and welcome, my name is Jim McKinley and you are listening to episode 101 of Just Get A Real Job podcast. It feels very strange to sort of be in double figures now, triple figures I should say, been in double figures for some, some time. Yeah, it feels very strange to sort of be over the 100 mark. Thank you to everyone that tuned into last week's episode and supported our 100th episode with the frontman of acclaimed Scottish band Father Son. We'd had some really nice feedback on that one, so thank you to everyone that's listened. We've got another brilliant episode in store for you today, and this week on the podcast we are joined by a comedian, a writer, a director, a very multifaceted creative that is, and she also happens to be Canadian, which is a podcast first, but this week on the podcast we are joined by the brilliantly talented Kate Hammer, who also, may I add, has one of the coolest names we'd ever had in this podcast as well. But I spoke to Kate, I think two or three months ago she came around, we recorded this, and it was a lovely conversation. And she's been very busy since we last spoke as well. She actually has a play on this week, which is brilliantly timed, and that is called Must Be This Gay to Ride. And that is on this week, on the 23rd and 24th of June, at the Old Gym Theatre in Glasgow at half past seven. It's also got some other dates and a few other places as well. There's a link to that underneath the podcast. Be sure to go along and support if you're around. And if not, keep an eye on those other dates, as I said. Kate's also taking a show to the Edinburgh Fringe for a few days. And there's links to that underneath the podcast as well. So be sure to go and support Kate and all her brilliant work. You're going to hear more about it very shortly in this episode, of course. If you can hear some sort of drunk Glaswegian singing, I apologise. There's a pub across the road from the flat and every Monday night they have like a karaoke night. I don't know why it's on a Monday, but fair play to them. They're having a good time. So I'm sort of, I'm going to have to start maybe to record this on a Sunday because I've waited for a bit to see if it quiets down, but it's still going on. I don't even know if it'll pick up on the mic to be fair. Maybe, maybe it will. Maybe it'll be a nice touch if it does. But anyway, me and Kate had a great conversation. There's lots of interesting topics that we covered and yeah, enjoy today's brilliant episode. Episode 101 with the wonderful Kate Hammer. Hi Kay, how are you? Good, how are you? It's good, thank you for coming and doing this in person. I was saying to you before we started recording, like I'm so, I'm not used to doing this, like I've only done like seven or eight of these in person before, so it's, you know, it's nice to, yeah. to do it like this. To make real eye contact with someone. Yeah, it's very intense, <laughs> but no, it's fine. How are you? Thank you for doing this on a Friday night when it's actually sunny in Scotland I know, as well. But, you know, one of my favourite things is to, like, be inside and look at sunbeams. Do you know what I mean? And, like, you're like, yeah, this is nice. Well, I so. thought I'd let you have the side of the room where you can see yes. outside. It's only fair as, like, the guest. Yeah, the blank so. wall yeah, is the no, other it's side. fine. Do you want to, like, sort of introduce yourself for the listeners? Just, like, tell yeah. them, like, what you do, who you are, etc. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. My name's Kate Hammer. I'm a writer-director originally from Canada. But I moved here about two and a half years ago, and I love it. I love Scotland. I love Glasgow. And yeah, just focusing on writing and directing my own stuff. Short sketches, but ideally would move into film and full film and TV episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And you're also like kind of a stand-up as well. You do comedy stuff, right? So you do yes. so you do lots of different things. Got my oh, fingers in a lot of pots, which can be yeah. wonderful, but also really hard to balance. But yeah, so yeah, I've been doing stand-up... It's hard with the pandemic because mm. there was a solid two years where I did nothing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I've been doing stand-up, let's say, for about four years now. And it's going really well. It's nice. I love... That was one of the reasons that brought me over here was that I love UK comedy mm. and just your sense of humor and self-awareness and willing to be a little bit like self-deprecating, but really absurd and, and more of a storytelling vibe instead of like... North American comedians are are just it can yeah it's it can be quite unsatisfying when you watch an hour and it's just joke to joke joke mm. joke end on offensive joke and here I feel like you know when I first watched Simon Amstel's special do nothing I remember it blowing my mind I was like I've learned I've <laughs> cried I've laughed like it was just it's a yeah, I really like the culture over here. So that TV and comedy is why what brought me over. Amazing. Well, we've got loads and loads to talk about. And I was saying to you as well off air, like, 
we have like loads of mutual friends in common and stuff yeah. as well like people that have been on this podcast before <laughs> that, and then like also you used to work at the same place I still work now at STV yeah. in a different department and stuff but we also just recently did this film with Hannah Curry who's also been a previous guest on this podcast like about like neurodiversity and you yeah. did like a panel for BAFTA which I, a few months like a month ago or something yeah. and it was really interesting and like I remember I went and I was like oh, I need to get Kate on the podcast because like there's like just you know it's just a really interesting talk especially myself I mean I've talked about being dyslexic and dyspraxic and neurodivergent on this podcast lots and it's good to have these conversations so there's so much to talk about but yeah I normally sort of get my guests to start on like their earliest creative memory so do you remember like when you first thought I might be a comedian or I might be a writer and director or was it more just like a natural yeah interest in the art for that I would say especially for if it's looking at it at a comedy take comedy was just such a, a a big thing for my family that was like the value that's who won the conversation right whoever was funniest was in power and we just loved to make each other laugh because I grew up on a goat farm with three older brothers <laughs> middle of nowhere like literally a hundred acre farm like the neighbors very far away so you had to make your own fun. Uh, we also only got like six channels of TV. Most of them were news, so it's not a lot to go on. So it really was just, you know, learning to play and be silly and, and make each other laugh. But because I was the only girl in the family, I spent a lot of time playing alone because my brothers would all be doing their thing. So I think when thinking about creativity young, that's kind of what my mind goes to is just me, <laughs> like with a pile of bricks there's a picture of me with a pile of bricks, but I've like made them into a <laughs> castle and stuck a feather on top. And I just, I think that's the summary. And for some reason I have a, I had a black eye for farm life. You know, I think I just <laughs> fell down a well or something, but uh, that kind of moment of just like, oh yeah, cause that's what I would have done. Just wandered off. And with whatever I had, like mm. just my mom always said I had a big imagination. So I think that's what attracts me to stories and telling stories and, and really like being able to or make not make people but allow people to feel stuff mm. and and uh, engage with social issues through these things and but yeah I mean tons of drawing and and always into like arts and crafts younger but if you just left me in a room for a while I'd be able to make my own fun but I suppose that's very important as like a stand-up or even as a writer because you need to be able to like a lot of it probably is quite a lot lonely in the sense where you write the jokes or you write the script, etc. You need to sort of yeah. be able to be on your own and then share it later. So, you know, doing that from an early age is probably quite useful for that. Yeah, and I mean, I appreciate my alone time and know that a lot of the process needs to be done just like you doing it. But I also love collaborating. That is, you know, I was always an outgoing kid. I would like invite strangers to my birthday party at <laughs> the pool and my mom would be like, you can't come. We don't know you. And I also have a really strong background in improv. So I did that for a lot of mm. years in Canada. And I think that kind of way of developing characters on stage and like and following the fun and learning, learning through that has really made me, not that I find it impossible to work alone now, but I'm like, why? Yeah. So I'll do this, but then I'll want to share it with people and yeah. collaborate. And can you look over this? And can, Because nothing is better done alone. Like, I don't think there's any creative project that's, even if it's good, uh, if one person does everything, it could have been better if someone else's eyes were in there. Well, that, do you know, that's so interesting because the whole reason I'm like, now a script editor is because I couldn't do the writing alone thing. You have to kind of be able to do a lot of it if you're a screenwriter. And I, my whole job is collaborating with, well, basically writers and other t- people like, you know, other script editors. And I think that's what I like most about it because you're able to, like, I don't know, maybe I just don't like being on my own as well. But do you know what I mean? You're able to, it's so collaborative. But I think a lot of people forget that that's such an important part of being any creative. You need to be able to collaborate. And especially and you're creating okay. multiple characters and yeah. then it's like, okay, go write five of them. And you're like, but what? And it's, I can do it. But it's not going to be as good as if I have, yeah, one or two other yeah. people in the room and who know maybe those different sides of those characters better and we riff and we improvise mm-hmm. and we go, what about this? And we list 10 things and we pick the best one. Like, yeah, it's just, it's funny how we, I think the UK has more of an idea of an auteur and like one person writing all the episodes versus like a writer's room. And I think it yeah, is Yeah, it's, it's interesting because like they don't, in America and like in Canada and all those other, and like North America, there's not really a script editor over there. It's, an, it's totally different. There's like a writer's assistant and it is more this, as you say, like collaborative room type thing. Whereas here, 
often they would just be like a writer or work on a project with a company and then it would get made. Yeah, so I think you like, still had script editors over there, but you probably know more than me because I didn't really enter the industry over there. Mm-hmm. I was doing I don't know anything about the American okay. TV industry, to be fair, like I'm not working with it, but just from what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Just for the people who don't think I'm like having an opinion on something, <laughs> I'm not. Oh, no, right. but that's that's totally valid and fair. And I think there is strength in writer's room, but at the same time, I mean, yeah, that's when a showrunner becomes important, et cetera. But, oh yeah, just not being in the industry in Canada. So yeah, I don't really know. I was only in live performance in theater because mm. that's the most accessible way of like, oh, I want to write something and put it on, which I mean, it goes into kind of later talk about what you can do to get into the industry because I think it's still really inaccessible and funnily enough like you and I are both in or got in on training schemes yeah which is like without those but there's not enough of them 100% there's definitely not enough to go around yeah speaking of the Canada stuff as well it's a good place to start because one of my favorite questions is asking people about where they're from and how that's influenced them but like where where about in Canada did you grow up and like how has that influenced you as a creative person yeah so I grew up in southern Ontario like I said on a goat farm like my job growing up was mowing the church lawn because that was the closest building to us (laughs) and that was really you know part of the community and it was really nice or my primary school bordered a cow pasture and I always mm. use that as like a way to sum up the vibe of everything it was like you went out to play and you there was just a cow shitting and you're like that's normal but then went into town for high school so yeah I think it was really interesting because you were forced to make a lot of fun yourself like I said but at the same time I think living in the country as much as I love it and appreciate it and yeah. I think it you know a lot of skills and grounded me in a lot of ways it held me back from doing what I wanted to do and like it's taken me a longer time getting there because I couldn't stay after school I had to catch the bus you know an hour and a half bus ride home to get you know and and do homework and whatever where everyone else could stay in town and do you know in the communications lab or band or all these other things or just hang out and Mm. I mean I'm grateful because I was never into drugs (laughs) and I feel like that's (laughs) when everyone had fun and I was like okay bye guys like I'll see you tomorrow but then I lived in Montreal for about five years before coming over here I lived in Toronto and then Montreal so that's when I kind of got more opportunities for playwriting and making stuff and you started getting interesting in filming but it was always like well I wouldn't want to film something with shit equipment and there was always that barrier of how do I get that how do I make it good enough but yeah I just think that for so much of it especially when you grow up on a farm anything if I was good because I'm a performer if I was good in a show my parents would be like oh great you should be a publicist or you know PR or you're great at talking to people you should be in sales it was all these you're good at a creative thing here's a real job you can do like it was never oh my gosh you should follow that because that was never a realistic and as much as my parents didn't ever say like no you can't do this it was just unsaid in this world of well that's not what we do we're farmers and we're realistic and what about money because that's always a you know your crop's gone you're fucked so that was always that mindset and I remember when I was young and in Oliver Twist or like a ripoff of Oliver Twist because uh, we weren't allowed to use the real songs someone came out to me afterwards and was like you have a great voice you should be an actor and it was the first time that it clicked that I was like oh you, people can do that as a job yeah. like you can do that and it took me a long time to admit that to myself that I could, could actually just take a chance and go for it rather than trying to find a safe job and try and do some creative stuff on the side. Yeah. Well, obviously, like, there's such an interesting topic you're talking about as well. Like, obviously, the name of this podcast is all about that. The whole, like, idea of this podcast came from that idea. But it's so interesting because you work in the industry. And like, this isn't a dig. There's lots of lovely people I work with whose parents work in the industry. And the whole Nepo baby thing's really popular. But it's so interesting because if you come from a place... Like, I was the same when I grew, grew up. Like, I wasn't obviously a farm. I'm not comparing it was a town. There's like, probably a bit more, like, things going on. But if you don't see anyone around you doing a job in the creative industry... Yeah and making a living from it then it doesn't even feel like it was it would ever be possible so even the idea of thinking about doing it seems insane and to other people like they're like what so i think even the, even like attempting to do that is like i think a big achievement in itself let alone doing it yeah. whenever i feel like an imposter i remind myself that i'm like but you know when you were growing up most people are like what that's not like a realistic thing like you might be able to do that so yeah. i think that's must it very much sounds like it was the case in canada as well and stuff and just that accessibility thing you were talking about earlier yeah absolutely it's 
I think the biggest hurdle, because I wouldn't say that there was no chances and uh, for me to get my hands on equipment. In high school, I mm-hmm. did, and we, I made stuff, and I loved it. But again, it was still like, well, I'm also really good at math, and I'm really good at this, and I'm good. And those would be smarter things to do. Maybe I should just be an engineer. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should just be a funny engineer, you know? <laughs> Instead of like actually trying to be a comedian, like especially yeah. in Canada, there's five big comedians you know what I mean and even then you to travel the country instead of an eight-hour drive to cross mm. the country it's I don't even know how many days too much an environmental you know, disaster recently I, I, I realized like I was like Canada's population is like what 50 million or something I could not believe it because in my head it was like such a big country I always assumed no. it must have a bigger I population I think we're only even like 30 something million because I think the UK has around double Canada's population so in your head you're like, people must be standing shoulder to shoulder here. I'm going to Google this now to get there. But... <laughs> I think, I'm going to guess 34. Okay, I'm going to, okay, so I, you were closer than me, but like, it, so it says on Google in 2021, so I don't know how accurate it is, 38 million, so you're pretty oh, much bang on. So you, you were in the right number, more, pretty much. More people had babies, yeah. I checked last year. <laughs> We've grown. Yeah, yeah that's just, not like a lot if you compare it to even the UK, which is like a tiny country in comparison. Yes. It is, but I suppose a lot of it's quite like, in the way that the Highlands and Scotland quite a lot of like unpopulated places. But this is what's interesting is thinking about the culture of storytelling and TV mm. and going out. And I think Canada has less of a going out culture. There are more comedy shows, which, you know, we can all agree on, like, comedians get into TV, get into yeah. writing, like, that's, it is a kind of streamline. So it's like, people go out to see comedy, so the more paid shows, so then I can get paid more as a comedian. And that, like, it's all this kind of reflexive stuff. In Canada, it's really hard to get an audience. There's just less people, there's less people who are willing to go out. Maybe it's partially weather, like there's so much snow or when it's nice you want to be out. Like, But what is it about culture and partially drinking culture that people just go out less to see stuff? But here it feels more like people want to go out into the community and support in whatever way and, and go and see shows or that they also are engaging with television more and that there's more of a stress on good stories in potentially lower quantity but it's you know higher yeah. quality or BBC being a license fee and mm. having a mandate to represent the country yeah. we don't have anything like that which I think a lot of people forget because obviously the BBC is a, like an interesting subject because there's obviously a lot of problems in it but I, I think if people in this country sometimes forget when they moan about the license fee how privileged we are in the sense of like how much we get for that and like because I recently had these two exec producers on who are American they're based both in based in America and they were talking about how like terrestrial TV in America anyway I mean, don't know what it's like in Canada but they were saying that basically like it's rubbish if, if it's not a streamer it's just terrible and we are so lucky to have something like the BBC or or STV or you know Channel 4 etc that are making good quality TV on a terrestrial level completely like, which and, is mad and it's popular worldwide and it's respected and you can see like it's just developed never like even if you're annoyed paying the license fee please don't stop it's so important because it really and it forces them to make shows outside of London if that license fee goes away why you have no reason to go outside of the main metropolitan population dense areas and I'm not saying it's there's you know easy for Scottish television to get made or that there's enough of it but at least there is like some sense of we need to get outside and we need to tell these stories to represent the people that are paying us there's quite like a boom in kind of in terms like there's a lot of TV being made there right but would you say that it's not really reflecting Canada itself 100% it's mostly American shows coming up yeah. filming for cheaper in Canada and then going back so I still think there's a lot of that happening in Scotland like there's a lot of shows yes. that are filmed here but aren't actually necessarily Scottish yeah I know what you mean exactly like I think that happens in Scotland a little bit sometimes and it's great because you're like we're employing our local people but at the same time you're like but we need to make more Scottish stories yes. too yeah and even having like a Scottish director Instead of, again, having to bring someone in who doesn't, isn't going to tell, not necessarily isn't going to tell the story in a Scottish way, but it's, you know, a lot of the below line people are getting employed, but the big, the big wigs, I guess I would call Mm -hmm. them, are still coming in to do it. And so it's like, where are the people here that we can have the skill and have the availability that we can hire. Hundred percent. I feel like I've taken a, on a bit of a tangent. No, it's just question, a good but, conversation. Um, but the question, another one, which will be really interesting, because again, I love it when it's somebody that's not even from Scotland to the UK, because it's usually quite yeah. different. But like, do you have like a favorite word or phrase from Canada that you would like to share with us today? This was really hard because I was thinking. <laughs> you can have so, more than one. <laughs> I was thinking so hard about it, like 
what do we say? And part of me was thinking, do I travel so much and have, you know, I was an au pair in France and, you know, I, I've not lived in Canada straight for my whole life. So I was like, have I just forgotten Canadian words or things that we do? But the, I came up with a couple. I mean, I really like from my time living in Montreal, the Quebec have a different set of swear words okay. than other French people. So all of their swear words have to do with the Catholic Church. And so it's just saying something Catholic, but with a Quebec Y. So it's like tabernacle for like tabernacle, but it's like a, a little cuss or like Christ for, you know, Jesus Christ. <laughs> or like all these little Quebecois swear words are really fun. Or just slang in general. But the only phrase I could think of was that I don't think it's a Canadian thing. But whatever we would go away and then come back home, my mom would say as we walk in the door, we'd just go, home again, home again. And like for some reason, it's this like, it felt like it was unconscious when she did it. And I yeah. think was it like a few years ago or sometime where I noticed I would do it too. Like it was just now this inbuilt thing that if I like came home, even if it was out for, you know, the day, I would just come home like, home again, home again. And it's this like weird, I don't know what it does. It's not, and it's not like, I am safe. I am. Home. It's just like a statement. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those things where you don't know you're saying it, but it is a phrase. So that's a very niche, only the Hammer families. <laughs> home again, home again. That's what I'm sticking with. I'm going to be really cheeky as well, since you lived in Scotland for two and a half years. Is like a Scottish word you'd heard since you moved here that you really like? Oh my gosh, I love so many and they sound so wrong in my accent. <laughs> but I should have a bit about this because I just, I love the word we, like a wee walk. Uh, a wee cup of tea. It's so cute and great and just it sums up and it's nice and I just love it. Also, so it is, like as the end of a, mm. of a sentence is really cute to me because again, it's something that's so unnecessary. So it's like the Canadian A. Yeah. It's like a great day for A, A, but like, you know, oh yeah, she's this, so she is. And like, it's just kind of a nice like, I don't know, there's something really wholesome about it. So it's mm. the little Scottish words that I like. Look for very good answers, thank you. I sometimes put people on the spot on that one and they're like, oh my god, you're asking me for so many words. Well, again, a hard one to pinpoint, especially in the creative industries where you sort of often have to work up and up like a part-time job, etc., to fund your art and do things on the side. But like, when was like the sort of first time before you moved over here, was like, were you working quite a lot in Canada doing like the improv stuff, doing the theatre stuff? Did you like make that into like a living or is that something you did on the side, etc.? If you want to make theatre and comedy and improv into a living in Canada, or at least where I was, you would have to go into admin. You'd have to like work for the Quebec Drama Federation or a theater or, okay. which is great. And like, you know, I was always kind of like, should I do that? But I knew that it would kind of not trap me in a way, but just, I knew I was like, well, I don't want to stay yeah, here forever. Yeah. And it's something that you would you want to stay in and become an artistic director or da, 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 da. And a lot of the playwrights tend to have rich husbands. <laughs> and so like, not all of them, but like some of the ones who are like, oh, I'm a full-time playwright. And it's like, oh, because you can't afford to. And it's nothing against that, but it's just like, again, it boils down to the people in Canada who are able to make these like a full-time job have some other, you know, safety net yeah. or to the time, uh, which is a really big luck factor. But so yeah, I, there was no, there's no money in improv and or st or stand up in, in Canada for like you know up and coming levels, so yeah it was uh, my last job before I left I was working for an app like a new application that was being developed and it was a storytelling app so I was interested yeah, it was like, great yeah. yeah it was part of the world but again at a certain point it started to just break my heart because even if you're in something adjacent to what you want to be doing mm -hmm. at a certain point for me and I think I mean I would love to be able to just kind of split my life up a bit more yeah. but for me it was just it really kind of yeah a deep depression hit of being like it's not it it's it's yeah. close and I'm oh my gosh I'm so lucky I'm being paid people would kill for this job to be paid to be a writer but it's not what I want to write. It's not fulfilling. It's not able to yeah, like yeah, hit yeah. these things for me. It's not my voice. 
I think the voice thing's so important. That's actually the advice I give to so many young writers when I speak to them, because a lot of people say, like, what, what do they need to do with this spec script, etc. And I always just say, like, at the end of the day, I just think you have to, like, make sure your voice is there. Yeah. Even if the script's not perfect. I, I, me, personally, obviously some production companies and people are different, but, like, I think if the voice is there, then that always comes through the most. So I always say yeah. to people, like, get your voice. Like, it yeah. sounds so pretentious, but do you know what I mean? I think it's imp- really important. It's not pretentious. It's hard to pin down. Yeah. And I think that's what's frustrating about just looking at writing is you have a story idea, but then you try and go, well, maybe it should be more dramatic or are they looking for this or it's too funny or it's not funny enough. Or I always, I think I'm lucky that I work in comedy and it's, Mm. you know, I'm able to kind of... I suppose voice is a central part to that. Yes, absolutely. What's my point of view? What resonates honestly for me? But not only me, but like, what do people assume when they see me? And then Mm. what do they expect me to say? How can I subvert that? Or you'll see it a thousand times, like if I, let's say, had a feeling or observation about myself and I shared it, but it just dies with the audience. And then you have to go, oh, so they don't see me like that. Mm. Even if it's honest for me, they don't understand it. So you're like, great, you have to adapt to how people are perceiving you. I think it's really useful to take that into writing. But yeah, to find a voice as a writer is a tricky thing because it's not something you can necessarily yeah. be like, I've written the first draft, now to put some voice into yeah, it. Yeah, it's not like a thing. No. It's like a, yeah, it's hard. It's, you can't yeah. bottle it. I think a big stamp of death for me though is whenever I hear uh, writers being like, "How can I add a bit of like a bit of comedy into it?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, if you're asking, just work with a collaborator. Like, just <laughs> have a comedian that you trust. Like, take a look. Can we get some script. comedy sprinkles on this. Is it really? Because I'm like, if you're trying to force it in, it's not going to be natural. Yeah. It's not going to work. Like, what? But also, maybe that's not your voice. Mm-hmm. So don't force. Yeah, like, don't push it. Because it's not going to read just like, have write a script that you love. 100%. I, I always say to people, don't write a police procedural because you think people want to make it. If you don't like them, don't write it because it's yeah. so obvious that you're trying to. I know. But, uh, well, maybe, maybe it's a good thing to sort of go into the comedy stuff because, I, I mean, I, I haven't had enough comedians on this podcast, which is really, I don't know why, because I, lo- I really like going to see comics and stuff and I really feel like I should have had more. I think we'd only had like two comics on this podcast and we'd done like nearly 100 episodes, which is mad. You sort of started being a stand-up in Canada before you came here as well. Yeah. So like, is that always something that you were drawn to? In a weird way, no. Like, it wasn't something when I was little that I was like, ooh, I want to be up there doing that. I loved performing. I loved entertaining all the time. Yeah. Like, that was, yeah, big, happy place for me. But again, the realisticness of mm. that was... Uh, I didn't want to go get a degree in acting because I was like, that's a four years to end yeah, up with yeah, not yeah. a lot. And I think you can teach yourself to act in other ways. Or you just see so many people go through acting school and then they are actors. And Mm -hmm. this is how they speak on TV or in theater. And you're like, ugh. But yeah, I always wanted to... I think I always had the impulse to, to be a part of like the comedy community and I really like into improv and things like that. But with my schedule, it never worked. Or I always found excuses or money or time. I was a tour guide at the time, so... You know, if it was a six-week improv 101 class, I knew I was going to be gone at least for three classes. And then that's half of a course that I'm not getting. So then I couldn't go to the... So it was always just like never worked out. So when I moved to Montreal, it was a big effort for me to go, okay, I'm here. I'm doing a creative writing degree. Like I'm investing in myself. I'm saying I'm going to do the thing I want to do, not just, you know, what what I think I should be doing. And And then I started improv. And that was the first kind of thing I was doing there. Then I started doing sketch. Then I started doing more theater there. And then it took a couple, like, I think it was a year in Montreal before I did my first stand-up show. Mm. And it was always the kind of thing last on the list because there was more, there's classes for improv and there's ways of doing these other things Mm. and work and school. I would only do stand-up when I was asked to do a show, which was more common because there aren't a lot of women in comedy. So whenever a show needed, like, yeah. a woman, they're like, can you do it? Do you like, come be a token woman, please? Well, I was like, sure. Yeah. I was like, great, well, how about I do something I've never done before and will never do again? Because yeah. I had this obsession with never repeating a set. I was like, how can I repeat it? I have so much to say. I have a new story to tell. Because it was always, always about storytelling for me. And that's what kind of, like, when I boiled down, well, what do I want to be doing and why? It was, like... A good story well told is the only Mm. thing that will change the world. And so no matter what I'm doing, that's like at the core of it. 
And did, did the improv, though, imagine... Because that's not... There's not as big a culture of improv in the UK. Obviously, there is some, but that's a lot bigger in, the, like, sort of North America. The scarcity here. It's so weird. I didn't mm. know. There's more in London, but it's a really weird thing because there's so much of it in North America. Tons in Montreal, tons in Toronto. You have your second city. You have, yeah, Montreal Improv and Theatre St. Catherine. Then you go down to New York and you have your Upright Citizens Brigade. So I've, like, taken, you know, bits yeah, and classes yeah. and workshops at all of those things. So, yeah, it was really weird to come here and then find out there's, there is, there's Glasgow Improv Theatre. There's some workshops and, and nights happening in Edinburgh. But there's just, it's not the same. There's less it's of not the movie. same culture, yeah. Yeah, it's really strange to me because I, a lot of UK stand-up is so, like, I feel like they have built it through a form of improvisation anyway. Mm. So it really feels like you guys would love it, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's funny. And I, I do want to get more involved here, and I've had some meetings because I it's a muscle that I really miss flexing. Mm. It's something so different of how being able to just like find the silly play and spontaneity, and then when you when you have this when you're on the same wavelength with someone else yeah. on stage, it is a high like no other high. Like it's not a stand up high is not the same as an improv mm. high when you bring everything together and it works and the audience is like yeah, they lift you up and they carry you around. It's amazing, and and so many ideas can come from those made up scenes. Yeah, and I've also done two hour long improvised Whoa. sets yeah narrative sets because I knew some kooky people in Montreal who were like <laughs> let's fucking do this so it's really fun what you can do you can make a, mo- a dramatic movie on stage because the audience shuts out a genre and a couple other things and great let's do it yeah. and you're all working together have you ever taken something from what you learned in improv and put it into like a sketch and stuff and reused 100%. it I imagine that must be quite a good way of getting ideas yeah I think actually I say 100% and I don't know if that's true I think probably, I had a sketch group in Montreal where we definitely did that. We would do improv and then we say, oh, maybe this or this, but we'd also have outside written sketches. It's hard to do improv alone, but a lot of like me riffing and improvising yeah. <laughs> with non-consensually with my friends where they're just sitting there and I'm like, hey, I'm a new character now and I'm <laughs> going to do these things. It helps me. But, but yeah, I think it would work. Because I, I would never want to take a group idea mm. into a sketch without that group yeah. idea. So um, I don't know if I actually have, but it's the muscle. Mm. It's like even just being in, uh, in improv on stage. And if none of those ideas work, but you're like, but that makes me think of this. And that could be a stand-up or a sketch. It, or it a must show. make you a better stand-up as well, having that improv background 100% as well. Because yeah. I think stand-up's one of the most insane art forms in the sense that I could never imagine. Okay. I've, I've done a bit of acting as a teenager and stuff. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? I've, I've kind of done performance. Like, I've done the, the podcast live and things. But the idea of being myself on a stage and being like funny and stuff is terrifying. So, I mean, because it's the most vulnerable, I think, probably of all the performance arts, I think, is being stand-up. 100%. You've, you nailed it on the head with saying, like, being yourself on stage because obviously you can do be a character stand up and that's great but there is something about modern day comedy where audiences want honesty and not only that they can clock when you're not being honest yeah. and a story like if if you're telling a friend's story or a made up story unless you're doing it re- like really well but there has to be a heart of honesty to it an audience will clock onto it and they like they don't know why but they won't engage as much mm. it's really interesting but you're right in that i believe that comedy is like stand up it's the hardest performance ever because with a musician you at least like you can have your chat in between but at least you're like you're good at playing songs. And if you may make one or two card mistakes, I imagine yeah. most audiences are like, it's fine. But I feel like as a stand-up, if you fuck a joke up, that's the whole joke. Could be yeah. like the, the... But then also a musician, they're a little bit funny in between. And people are like, yeah. oh my God, they're funny and they're talented. It's amazing. Yeah. But there is some sort of like, if you use a prop or an instrument while doing stand-up, the audiences are a lot more like, oh wow, there's this other thing. Mm-hmm. But when it's just you and a mic and you're asking people to find you funny, but you can't show them that you want them to find you funny. You can't yeah. be desperate, but you need it. But you can't show... It's like this really weird thing where you have to walk up. And it's... I've, I've seen great jokes die just because the person didn't have the right confidence. And there's no... It's yeah. so subtle. It's so like, why didn't that work? Like a hundred tiny things. Mm-hmm. You need to believe it's funny for the audience. But like a lot of comedians say, oh, you need to sort of have some bad shows to be a good comedian. Have, have you had some like shows where it's just not gelled? Oh, sure. <laughs> is that like, is the most like... Te- I mean, 
have like so much respect for him because it must that just must be I don't know if I've got the personality to be able to deal with that how do you deal with that actually you know what I think if you'd asked me a few years ago I would have said you know I'm I'm confident on stage and I'm you know I'm at a place like give me bigger shows but only now looking back I'm like oh now I'm at a place where I'm more confident on stage and you can give me shows and I wouldn't absolutely <laughs> shit myself before going on stage it's just about like exposure therapy yeah. of doing it a hundred times. And now I have a trust in myself that I can turn a show. So even if it's not going well, yeah. I can go, oh, you guys didn't like that one? And like, I, because, and then that improv background comes in and I can have a conversation with them and I can like feel the room and I can get them back on my side and I can adjust my set and do different bits. And I trust that it'll work. There will always be shows that still don't work even when you've, you're doing that because of who the hell knows why they came in and didn't want to laugh or they didn't want to laugh at you or because of your accent like and a woman and there's all these factors and when you only have 10 minutes you're like I can't really get into making you like me I'm just gonna have to truck on and so there will always be shows that are terrible and you just have to walk off stage and walk straight out of the venue and go somewhere else and (laughs) just just leave it doesn't matter just go because every, even the best comedians have those shows yeah. that are going to be hard and it keeps you humble and you're never going to be every room's comedian and I don't think you should want to be. Mm. Just like in any, no matter any creative industry, you're never going to be the right person for every project and you shouldn't want to be and you should be yeah. honest about like, hey, I don't think I should take this film or part because like that's, I don't think I'm the right person for it instead of being like, well, I want a project so let's do it. I think that must happen so often. There must yeah. be so. That's probably why things are bad yeah. a lot of the time. It's because people didn't have like they weren't aware of enough of the time. And sometimes that happens naturally. But you know, I, th- I think it's important to have conversations like this and and be honest about that because it is. I think it is an important part of the process. Hello, it's Jamie here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful. Not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcasts, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash justgetarealjob, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. Well, obviously moving to Scotland has been quite, I mean, I know you're quite involved in this sort of stand-up industry because I've always seen on Instagram you're like doing shows and like performing on bills. How is that? Like, I, I've not really interviewed anyone that works in the Scottish stand-up scene. What, is it a good scene here? Like, do you enjoy being Yeah. Part of it? Oh, I love it. I think the Scottish comedy industry right now, or like the scene right now, is insanely talented. So good. The quality is so high. And I think that's what makes it all the more heartbreaking that... Mm it's not acknowledged or seen. You have all these comedy competitions and time after time, people will go down south, even without Scottish accents, like me yeah. or, or people who are from England but moved up here, but this is where they became a comedian. Because we're not seen around the London scene and they don't yeah. recognize us as this kind of like, well, you don't really hustle, do you? And so like a Scottish comedian won't make it to the finals of something or to, you know, and this is obviously not true for everything, but it's, I've been to enough shows where you're like, that person did so well, but didn't make it through. Why? Like, why? And there's just this weird kind of like, we don't like outsiders. And I think it's completely subconscious. But yeah, everyone on the scene is, is amazing and coming up with some really cool stuff. And I really love Monkey Barrel, like in Edinburgh. Mm. That's my favorite 
place to perform. Nice, nice venue, isn't it? Great venue, great rooms. The audience is all, like, I just feel like I can be myself the most there. I haven't really performed at the stand a ton, and there's a couple times. Like, the last time was really good, but the other times I'm like, oh, I think they want... I don't know. Sometimes you can be like, oh, I'm not sure I'm the right humor for this room, or I didn't mm. read the audience well, or yeah, or yeah. to be honest, I was so nervous that yeah. my nerves showed through, and then the audience is like, why is well, this lady so really scared and yelling like, at how, us? How do you deal with nerves? Because I feel like a lot of people listening, will, and be, especially if they wanted, they're an aspiring comedian or something, that nerves are very natural. How do, you, how do you deal with that? Yeah. I think a good amount of nerves is very important to always have I would never want to walk on a stage going perfect like I feel nothing because you need that like excitement that spark of of watching someone say something on stage but a willingness to go off script and respond honestly for me that's what I love seeing but I think you can just an audience doesn't want to watch watching bored people is boring I yeah. want to watch someone excited and, and yeah. trying to engage with you and have a connection with the audience. That's really why I do stand-up. It's not to be funny in front of people. It's to be funny with, with these people in front mm. of me and get to know them and bring them and like create something in the room that you can never recreate and jokes that you can never recreate because it's with these people and these callbacks kind yeah. of thing. But yeah, my kind of key for getting rid of nerves... <laughs> If I'm freaking out beforehand, right before I go on stage or a few minutes, I just go, you know what? I'm just going to have fun. And like, it's it, yeah. like, I say it like that because I know it's stupid, but I'll look at another comedian and be like, I'm just going to have fun out there. And they go, you should just have fun. You know, like, don't <laughs> worry about it. Just have but fun. But it's hard when you care so much about someone to have that mindset. But if you can try and convince yourself to be like, so fuck it. Like, what? so what if this goes bad? I think mm. that's another key is to go... Okay, so if they don't laugh the whole time, great. I'm not going to come back here then. And yeah, that sucks. But also, is it the worst? No. I got other things going on. This won't be the end of my career. This won't be... I'm not going to... You know, so fuck it. So just have fun. And then those gigs are the ones that go amazing and I never record them. Are you able to be present at gigs and stuff? This is a genuine question because we did uh, free live shows at the Friends last year with a podcast. And I'm not... It's different because I don't perform all the time. So it's quite something I don't do very often. Yeah. So I hadn't really done it for a long time then did these free shows. And I was not able to be there any of the nights. Like after the gig, people would come up and talk to me and be like, well, that was great. I really enjoyed it. And I would just feel like I was not there the entire time. And I I wonder, is this a common thing? or Like even after or just during? I guess, like, I mean, it sounds a bit dramatic. Like, I was, I remember it, but I feel like I was not very present. I was still kind of a bit like the adrenaline of it all, and I kind of wish I was able to have enjoyed it a bit more at the time. I think that's one thing with comedy, you have to be present because as soon as, again, like, as soon as you lose that spark, you trip yourself up and you go, mm. I genuinely don't know the end of that joke. Oh, uh, you know, because yeah. you're kind of somewhere else. You went on autopilot for a second. But you have to be reactive to the audience yeah. at every single beat and adapt the tone you're doing it in or da da da. So it's a weird one because I think you can still walk off stage and go, God, was I really there? Like there is a kind of out of body mm. experience feeling to it. But at the same time, it's just so different for different performers. But I think what I like and what I like doing is comedy that's present and engaging and reactive and connecting and that every show you're going to see is going to be a bit different. And like in terms of obviously I, could, I couldn't have you here and not ask about this but like how is like the representation in Scottish comedy like because as an audience member and I know I don't work in it but I think there I do see like there's much more women in the comedy industry now when I go to see shows but mm-hmm. do you still think it's I know I imagine it's still way not not still not equal enough at all no but do you think it's getting better like what's your sort of personal experience I mean I with? can't say much about the Scottish industry getting better because I've only been a part of it for like yeah. to be honest just over a year so I don't really know but in terms of diversity it's very white so yeah, we definitely I, need more yeah, people with different backgrounds taking to the stage like because I mean Scotland is diverse and we need to be representing that so yeah. I think that needs to be made more accessible I think it's there's a lot of female comedians on the scene but less at a certain level like a mainstream widely there's less women getting booked and paid enough paid Mm. at big gigs the big venues here you look at their friday saturday nights it's not like a few weeks ago i wanted to go to yeah a friend was like great let's go to a comedy show i was like i've never been to you know this club great i look up the lineup and it was just all white men and i'm like i 
I don't really feel like paying 20 pounds a ticket to go see. I'm sure they're funny. And I've seen some of them. I know they're funny. But it's not, that's not going to be for me. And I think about that because I think how many people, I mean, it's just for every industry about like talking about your audience and knowing your audience, but also bringing an audience to you. How many, let's say women or people of different backgrounds have come out to a comedy show and it's just been white, straight men and they go, okay, well that doesn't, it doesn't show me me. It doesn't reflect me, but it also, maybe there was a bad joke like that was a bit offensive or, uh, you know, triggering. And then they don't go out anymore. They don't go see comedy because I think there is a thing where, you know, women don't go see live comedy as much. And it's like, I think they can, but where's your lineup? You have to have a consistent, good lineup mm-hmm. with females and they will come, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I suppose, it's, again, it goes by the thing we said at the start. If you don't see other people like you doing the thing you want to do, then it makes you think, well, is that's not possible, is it? Yeah. So again, it's like, oh, so media and like performance representation is so important because it, it reflects the place. Exactly. And it allows people to see other perspectives which they might not have even considered it's like very important and it's like these aren't bad guys like you know they're funny they're great but but is there really no women at that level yeah that you can pay to be there are they that much worse and also i know you're not a politician so i'm I'm kind of putting you in spot but what do you think the solution is to that do you think that's a booker slash promoter thing is that like just an industry-wide issue like Oh, I mean both for sure. Mm. I think it's an industry-wide issue, but like you said, like what are the tangible actions that can be done? Yeah. Booking and but also when you think about it, like we're saying, okay, there's not enough diversity in comedy, and it's but that's not the people's fault. It is how to make that accessible or how yeah. to have more training. Like in improv, you'd get notes on a scene, and someone could say, "Oh, that wasn't funny," or that you know, this you should have gone yeah. for this. But they're filtering it through their own terms of what is funny. So if someone's up there is like, well, that is funny for a Chinese audience or for someone, you know, from my background or this, then they're always going to go, okay, well, try to get a good note. I'll switch it to your sense of humor. So I think there's a lot of like unlearning, but also just like work to be done and money to be invested in making these things accessible and like looking at and considering different points of view of what is funny. No, for sure. All that stuff's like just, it's very important. It also makes a, a better industry because it's, yeah. it's just better because there's more variety. I guess like another question would be really interesting to know is about, well, not just with comedy, but obviously with writing and stuff. Like who are sort of the people that have influenced you as a writer and as a comedian? That's a good question. I was asked this recently and I mean in Canada you watched Just for Laughs you watched like CBC Comedy Rick Mercer huge influences and respected in my household Mm. there's also this guy called Jeremy I think Jeremy Holtz or Hops he was just such a different kind of comedian. Yeah. It was really had a character and a way of speaking and these jokes that were like, the timing of them were so odd that that it had everyone in the room laughing. Mm. And I think uh, the same for, you know, TV shows, when you could get the whole family together and have everyone on the same page was really cool. You knew that person was, yeah, was nailing it and crossing all these lines. But influences... I mean, I'm just so inspired by the, again, like the level of quality content that Scotland is producing. It makes you want to do better and like seeing the other way people handle things in terms of just comedy. I mean, Ali Wong's special, Tig Notaro, I absolutely adore. I mean, I love Mae Martin. I have a huge crush yeah, on Mae Martin. Feel Good's so good, isn't it? Feel Good's amazing. Season yeah. one, off the charts. Love Mae Martin. But, I mean, Josie Long is also so funny but so nice as well and she's a transplant to scotland and i think there is you know just kind of confirms the energy that's in scotland and the creativity here is really really cool and interesting i don't know yeah i feel like i should have more set answers but there's not one person where i'm like that is me because i think you are Mm. i like keeping a wide breath to to feed into it and i'm a lot i'm really energetic and weird and like to kind of go in and out of voices and characters on stage so a bit a bit of everyone (laughs) great and do you have any shows coming up or anything you want to plug on the podcast i'm doing two shows at the fringe so just two dates i think it's called wide set Great. Well, we'll link it all underneath yes, this anyway. Perfect. And we'll do a reminder at the end. Don't yeah. we? But, um... And, but, oh my God. Yeah, I have a show tomorrow. I just take it day by day, to be honest. Amazing. Because there's, yeah, I'm probably doing like at least three shows a week, which is really fun. I was at Monkey Barrel last night. 
Yeah. It looked like a, it was a good lineup. Yeah. It was great. I love Roscoe. It got switched the lineup, sli- uh, the lineup slightly, but uh, Roscoe McLellan is hilarious and a very, very good comedy guy. Exciting. No, it's loads. I mean, I, there's so much more I could keep talking about comedy, but I also wanted to talk about this uh, documentary we're both in, like yeah. uh, working differently about neurodivergence and stuff. And I, I thought it'd be really interesting to like sort of ask you a bit more about your neurodiversity because obviously to that panel at Bath to Gear and it was really interesting. And I don't know about you, but that documentary like took me on a bit of a journey which I'm still kind of processing this year like what was like all these stuff I was talking about I was like I don't think I've ever said it quite like that before and I got quite emotional it's made me reassess like things in my life now which is so weird because I'd like to think I'm quite a self-aware person and I talk to loads of people about stuff all the time on this but that really I was like whoa that's so I don't know if you had a similar experience on that documentary or yeah, it was one of those things where it's funny. You were like, oh, I almost want to get emotional. Like, the, you know, yeah. but I, I think I talk about it a lot. And they came on the set of the short film I was making. Oh, wow. So that's like Bear, the short yeah. film about ADHD and what if your uh, neurodivergency was, you know, in the shape of a giant teddy bear that followed you around. And so it was really cool to kind of have them on set and then see that kind of sparse throughout the short as well, or the, yeah, working differently as well. I think. The biggest thing that surprised me about the whole process is how much imposter syndrome I still feel mm. around it of being like, am I sure I have ADHD? Like there's, do you know, even though I've been yeah. officially diagnosed, like, like all these things. And, but then I think in the filming, you know, I would just be sitting there and then Hannah, the director would come up and be like, oh, can you just, sorry, you just stopped doing the thing with your hands. Can you just keep doing that? And I was like, oh, I didn't realize I was like <laughs> fidgeting massively but, and or like, you know, jumping around and doing all these things. So it was, yeah, it was funny to understand because so much of it is, it's in your brain and, and yeah. all you, we have about communicating the workings of our brain is through like us mm. talking about it. So then immediately you feel like, Am I lying? You know, yeah, and you're like, yeah, yeah. why don't I trust myself? So I think it's, yeah, that was the most interesting part, but then also very validating to hear yeah. other people's experiences and go, oh, great, I, you know, I am a part of this community. And how does like your ADHD and stuff like tie into like the comedy and like all your creative uh, aspects? And yeah, stuff? massively. I think I'm at a point now where I embrace. ADHD mm. on stage and if I you know jump around or do something I think it's exciting and, and forgiving and because mm. it's just the way my brain works but it's going to come with a lot of passion and you know yeah. all these things and being on set my ADHD made directing feel like it's exactly what I was supposed to be doing mm. because long hours high you know check rate constantly thinking about something you're going to do and you have done and you are doing like being 10 places at once solving problems every other second oh my god the dopamine hits Mm. like and then going home after a 12-hour day and going, great, I'm going to look over the script for tomorrow and I'm going to do this notes yeah. or because I was in bears, like, and I'm going to memorize these and I'm going to yeah. think about my acting. And like, it was just everything, but it was so exhilarating and, and rewarding that it never felt like bad stress. Yeah. And I think for me, that was like where I was like, this is where my mind needs to be because it's not, it doesn't tire me out. Yeah. It's exactly what I want to be doing. Did you find as well that like it made sense for stuff in the past when you were younger and like things you never maybe understood you were like was I being a bit like you know and you make it sound like a bad thing and sometimes the way you think about it like when you're younger like was I just like was I being a weird then or like was I but then it makes so much sense when you get that diagnosis etc yeah I think that's the most I've cried like when (laughs) thinking about nerd like my ADHD was reading like as a child here's how you may have exhibited and it was just like all of these things point after point was things that I did, but also everything I would get in trouble for. (laughs) So that was like, yeah, that was an experience of being like, oh my God, this is so validating. And it wasn't my fault that like, you know, know, we'll try to clean your room by shoving everything in the closet and did it. Everything that's seen as you being lazy or not caring or why do you have 10 glasses of water or do, you know, everything that I get yelled at for like, or got yelled at growing up was like just an ADHD trait. It's it's crazy as well. Like for me, it was like, well, I'm dyslexic and dyspraxic and I know you'd seen some of the documentary, so I'm like repeating myself a little bit, but like one of the maddest things was first, like I always just talked about being dyslexic, so I feel like I'm totally okay with that part of me. Yeah. But the dyspraxic part, and like I was like, I was as Hannah, like sort of unpatched, like I was almost masking it or something right so the stuff i find the most like emotional about it is like all these things i was bad at when i was younger so jimmy 
me like dropping some like just being but even now like building like when we I've moved into this unfurnished flat it's like being really frustrated because I can't build a drawer or something it's like right. it's not your fault but like you never you don't you do, like it's like you feel so frustrated even last week I went bowling and I'm like I caught myself this I'm like you're getting frustrated because you're bad at this because you're dyspraxic but it doesn't matter yes but it's like mental because you go for all these years where you don't know and if you knew it might have helped etc but I've, yeah it's very interesting yeah I think that's it it was like the diagnosis just allowed me to like forgive myself and be mm. a little easier on myself rather than just being like like you said why am I not good enough or why can't why do I wait to the last minute to do it that's yeah. so frustrated what are you trying to fail and like yeah. just all these ways you find to beat up on yourself and you're not using it as an excuse like being like oh ADHD but it's oh okay Okay, now, now that I know what's in the toolbox, we can work with these yeah. tools, you know? And, like, I think you maybe said this on the bath to guru thing, but it's, like, it's, it's like in a superpower that you need to just embrace, like, yeah. which I thought was a really nice thing to say or, or something. like I know I'm, I'm not quoting <laughs> you directly, but along those yeah. lines, because it's for people listening that might be in the same boat. Like, it doesn't need to... It, it's portrayed by society as, like, a negative thing. And I obviously can't wait for the film to be out, because I think it's going to be a really powerful tool yeah. for people. And like obviously a massive shout out to Hannah and the team that yes. sort of behind that is it's incredible. Do you want to sort of talk about your film as well the bear? I feel like I need to like ask you about that because that's an amazing, that was quite recent, isn't it? Yeah, we're going into the color grade next week and then wow. sound beginning May and then she's done. Yeah, I'm very I'm very excited. It's gotten great feedback, which always feels weird, but is yeah. obviously really nice. So yeah, that'll be making the festival rounds this year. But yeah, mm. like I said, it's a it's a short about ADHD in this kind of absurd world where it's yeah. shown as this bear. And okay, so bear, you know, can help you focus and be super helpful, but also can take you away and, you know... Yeah. But it's never, I was really careful with our bear actors to be like, bear never does anything mischievous on purpose. They mm-hmm. always think they're trying to help or play or oh. it's kind of like, it's yeah. like, in a lot of ways, it's like this childlike wonder that, yeah. you know, ADHDers are able to kind of hold on to mm-hmm. in a way, but it comes with a lot of you yeah. know, bad mental I love the concept that I think it's so important. I've not seen anything really like that. So I think that's going to be like a really important film as well for people that, you know, have the same yeah. neurodiversity to like see. And for people that don't understand. Well, that's it. It's like not, it'll be in the description, but because the film never says, this is my mm. ADHD. I think even if you just, if for viewers who just want to look at it as this absurd world, it yeah. still like runs as a story in that way. And is about this woman, yeah, embracing her differences and yeah. that like it makes us so creative and that yeah. we look at everything differently and that should be seen as, yeah, not, I don't, you know, a superpower gift because there are bad sides to it and mm. we should also embrace, you know, embrace those and hug them in and be like, well, you're a bit shit, but you're my child kind of thing. But there's so many good thing parts to that about being able to see everything yeah. in a different way. That's really interesting. I mean, I know we've been speaking for an hour, so I've, I've got like a few more questions, so I'll start to cool. sort of wrap it because I, I could just talk for so long, there's so much to ask you. We're not going to get through for everything, but that's that's exciting. I've got some quick fire questions, which yes. are just a bit more fun. But the first of these is like, what's the sort of best venue so far that you had the pleasure of performing in? Ooh, well, like I said, I love, I love Monkey Barrel. But when I was last at the stand and it went so well, like mm. you, when you properly smash a room with like a hundred and... I don't know, 120 people plus. There's a feeling of this kind of, this is an yeah. arena of people. So yeah, the stand can be can be great. I also opened for Billy Kirkwood there. And so his audience is expecting energy. So it was a nice be be like, yeah, all right, I can amp you up for this amazing performer. So yeah, that, uh, yeah. It's more in the audience than the space, I think. Yeah, well, that's nice. But the second part of that question is, like, what's the best venue that you'd ever seen a show in? Mm. Or maybe I'll rephrase it as, like, what's the best audience you'd got to be part of? Yeah, these are good questions. Oh, do you know what? I'm going to say I was in London years ago before I moved here and visiting a friend and we went to see a kind of it was like a charity show Mm -hmm. in London by London Houston at the university and Nish Kumar was headlining and it was the day after he had a bread roll thrown at him Uh, do you remember that story yeah Yeah. years ago and it was the energy in that room was like no other because it was great acts all night but then you had him come out and everyone's like you were the front page of everything today and now he's here and he's just gonna do a set he's never gonna do again he's gonna talk Mm. about it it was just it was raw it was real it was it was touching he gave trigger warnings when he needed to it was it was so respectful and hilarious and I really love Nish Kumar so yeah it was this once in a lifetime huge audience to be a part of it was great 
Yeah, and obviously as a writer, the next question, like if you could write anything that's already, like a thing that already exists, whether that be a film, a series, a play, you could have been the one to write it, what would it be? I think Feel Good. Like that's, I just love, I love Mae Martin. They're my Canadian counterpart, (laughs) you know? It's like someone coming to the UK from Canada. I'm like, oh yeah, that's, you know, similar journeys. But also just, it's so funny. The themes are so clear. It's so well done. The characters are great. Yeah, season one, Feel Good, beautiful. And apart from feel good in yourself, what's like the best creative thing to come out of Canada for you? Ooh. I mean, so many good creative things are kept in Canada, and that's the problem. (laughs) We don't share them. I mean, Mm. there's some good ones. You know, you have Trailer Park Boys, and you have Letterkenny is another, yeah, Canadian show. It's had multiple series now, Mm. but it's kind of kept in this... Because it is, you know, this is a Canadian way of speaking in life and da da da. But I think it could survive outside, but we just, we don't know how to share our stuff and we don't make enough good, consistent stuff that needs to get shared, you know? Like Shit's Creek was really good for CBC, but they're constantly trying to yeah. recreate it and it's like well where's the where's the energy or the like I, I can't say too much because I haven't seen a lot of the shows because again they're they, I, I, Canadian content isn't respected or anything anyway that wasn't the question so, no it's still interesting letter <laughs> um, and then the last of these is if you could open for any comedian who would it be oh fuck because I recently like performed with Josie Long and then opened for Billy Kirkwood and those are two like especially Josie Long just like I've seen clips of her since I was a teenager just amazing quality probably James A. Caster it's a good answer yeah he's a silly boy and I think silliness (laughs) is what I bring and I think it's so important but while also addressing like Mm-hmm. serious mental health stuff and making you know normalizing yeah. things within the set but yeah i think he's a hilarious guy yeah. so yeah that's when i'll know i've made it very very good answer Just get a real job. well but like obviously the name of the podcast is just get a real job we'd all had to work jobs that we didn't like to support our art what's the worst quote real job or part-time job you never had to do I don't know if it's the worst in like the worst thing I've done, but I had a very short run job at a donut shop, like a bespoke donut shop in Toronto. They immediately wanted to make me manager, but I was like, I knew, I was like, I am going to leave the country in like six months. I was like, I can't take on anything. I just need a job. So they, whatever, they took me on, they hired me and then I did a shift I mean, immediately we had to throw out so many donuts. And I was like, are you sure we can't? They're like, no, we're not allowed Mm. to. We only give them away once a week to like this charity. And I was like, immediately so angry. Because I was like, this is so much food waste. And then I got an interview for a job at Soho House in Toronto. And I just thought it would be like, oh, a short, you know, trial thing. So I was like, great, they'll keep me for, you know, two hours and that'll be it. They then asked me to stay for a whole shift. And I was like, well, I have to say yes. So then I just kept working and I couldn't bring out my phone, right? Because it was in the locker. And, and I would, it's a terrifying feeling even now. I just missed my donut shift, but I knew there was only one person working in that donut shop at a time. So I was just making this other woman stay at the donut shop not hearing from me. I could be dead for all she knew, right? And just like, and then I finally got let go, uh, like let off the the shift, got the job. And I bugged to the donut shop like 15 minutes before closing. Like this person had worked an extra four hours and I was just like, I'm so sorry. I think it's clear I won't be working here again. And, she, and I was like, do you want me to do the clothes? And she was like, no, it's all right. It's 15 minutes, like just go home. So that to me, it's like the most shameful like way mm. to exit a job. And it was just like, yeah, it was a shit job in that I would just would have been in a weird donut shop all day and that would not have been good. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. I've got two more questions, but I kind of tie them to each other. But like, what are sort of three things you think someone would need to have to be good at what you do, whether that be comedy or writing, etc.? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think this can be the same thing where the number one thing is perseverance. I remember a professor in university telling me the students, the most talented of his students aren't the ones who make it as writers. It's the ones who just keep trying. And it's quite upsetting and sad to be like, oh, that's, it's not the talented ones who necessarily make it. It's the ones who have this gut for just keeping on going and, and taking a rejection and going, great, it's a numbers game or great. How can I make it better? And, And really being constructive with criticism. So yeah, perseverance 
just keep going because if you like it, why not? The second thing would be adapting, like being able to, whether you're writing and you get notes or you're on stage, just being able to adapt to the audience or characters or, you know, oh, they didn't like that joke, so they're not going to like this one. Or if you, sometimes if you just acknowledge it, then people will you'll go, you're not going to like this joke. And I'm going to tell it, you know, people can find fun. And as long as they're, you're aware as the person in charge, then you, you kind of have control of the gig and people like to feel safe. But yeah, just also knowing what notes to take and what notes not to take, which can be the hardest part. And then the third thing I would say is a mixture of just like of being positive, but also the importance of play because Mm. If you get stuck, I think you can lose your love of what you love if you are writing, but then it becomes a job and you have all these, you know, I have to do this yeah. and you know, pages of notes and it's the opposite of what they said last time. And But if you just make it, find a way to make it fun for yourself because you have to, you can tell when a script has heart, you can tell when a script has had fun writing itself and, yeah. and found something or it directed or you're a comedian. I think just the sense of play is is extremely important in, mm. in anything creative. Well, thank you for those answers. Like, I appreciate how much thought you'd put into them and that they're all they're just a great answer and great for people like listening that are maybe starting out to just be able to hear that. And obviously you've given some great insights and advice for it, but like, what would sort of your closing advice be to like anyone that, and I know it might tie into what you just said anyway, yeah. but like, for anyone listening. That... I think, I mean, it's a mix of finding deadlines to work for, but the biggest thing I can say, and I know it's not accessible, which I kind of hate myself for, but you got to just make your stuff and put it out there. Whether that's, it doesn't have to be on social media, but if you go out and make whatever you want to make, and then you, you just put it online yourself, and you can send that to your industry. So if it's an agent, if it's a director you want to shadow, if it's, mm-hmm. yeah, for comedy, like film yourself with a hairbrush in the room. Why not? It's better than having nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key is we have all these ideas and we have these written things in drawers. But if you can have something to show yeah. uh, and, and make yourself, your voice, bring that to the to the screen or to the stage in some way, then do it. But may, that makes me think of like, maybe the, just the piece of advice should be just find a great collaborator. Mm. If you like comedy and you want like, what a great challenge for yourself because instead of writing in a room alone, find a comedian you like that's local. I guarantee you they would love to write with you. <laughs> like to have to whoever you are, like do whatever you uh, your thing is. They would love to work with you because they want to get their thing out there. And, and collaboration means stronger projects and it means better, funnier, more interesting and and someone who's going to help you make it. Yeah. So less pressure. Well, and this seems like a great place to end on. Kate, thank yeah. you so much for your time. Like I genuinely like it's been such a lovely conversation to have and I thank you for being so vulnerable and honest as well about your experiences. I think it'll be a really and hopefully enjoyable listen for the people at home. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I I'm sorry to that donut shop lady if you're listening. <laughs> I am really sorry. I needed that other job. But yeah, thank you so much. It's been great. I can't believe how long um oh, no, we've been great. talking. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you I'll let you have a Friday night. Cool. <laughs> Well, there you go that was episode 101 thank you again to Kate for her time be sure to check the links in the show notes for her play that's coming up this week which I mentioned at the start and for her uh, fringe shows and various other works be sure to check that out as always thank you for listening to this podcast if you've enjoyed today's conversation this is episode 101 we've got an amazing back catalogue with some brilliant conversations so be sure to check them out also if you would like to support us in other ways we're obviously an independent podcast you can spread the word you can share us on social media be sure to tell friends and family to listen send this to people in the creative industries for example who you think it might be useful for or who might enjoy all that stuff is very very helpful for us to continue Continue growing the podcast um, and the other thing you can do if you're feeling very very generous which I appreciate when it costs a living crisis but we have a patron as well so if you love this podcast or you just want to support us in any way feel free to sign up to that there's a link to that below as well even if you just want to make a one-off donation all the money we make goes back into the upkeep of this podcast and to making it the best podcast it can be anyway I'm Jim McKinley this has been Just Get A Real Job thank you for listening thank you Taylor Mitchell for doing the editing and editing and editing and editing and editing of this episode and have a lovely week Just get a real job